Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Media Boat Podcast. As we can see, we are recording remote today. Someone is taking advantage of the nice long weekend by actually going and doing something. It's not me, by the way. It's it's Mike. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt, or he's Matt. I forget which way it's going to be recorded. Right now, currently, I'm below you, but that's not going to be how YouTube shows it. Um, but regardless, yeah, I'm in the desert. Yes. And Matt's at home. Yes. But we'll be back in person next week. Next week. I'm going to move this so I'm staring forward instead of looking to my left. All right. Um, So if you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We are a podcast that's dedicated to bringing you news and thoughts about movies, television, video game, and music, not necessarily in that order. Also, I like how I said video game singular as if there's just one video game. Well, currently there is just one video game. I mean, sales-wise, yes. By the end of the year, it's going to look like there is one video game. Um, but we'll get there a little later. First, we always start this this podcast with music, and we'll start the music section with the weekend. I almost said box office, box office. numbers. It's a thing you do. Um, the Hot 100, yes. the hottest singles uh, in the land at the moment. And back at number one, or actually still at number one, she was not dethroned last week, even though Drake tried. Antihero by Taylor Swift is still your number one song. But then the rest of these top five, Drake is out of here for the most part. Number two, he's still here with Rich Flex, Drake and 21 Savage. But the rest of the top five, he is vacated. Your number three, Unholy by Sam Smith and Kim Petras is back in the top five. Number four is Bad Habit by Steve Lacey. And number five, rounding out your top five is As It Was by Harry Styles, the reigning uh song of 2022 coming back to the top to the top five welcome back harry styles so now that taylor swift and drake have released their albums it's back to normal now uh, yeah well normal the new normal normal ish with, with the taylor 2020 and... normal with like yeah. uh harry styles in here the top five so mm-hmm. it makes sense things are settling back no more of these big releases every song on the album is going to be top <laughs> 10 now yeah i can't imagine that'll happen again in this calendar year but uh we'll see all right. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, we'll see. Next up. I'll see like Mariah Carey has a Christmas album. That's, that's not going to do it. No, it's I not going to do it. You'll see All I Want for Christmas is You charting again in a, a yes. week. You just get ready. <laughs> the Christmas songs are coming. They're not and here that's yet. That's how you know it's They're Christmas. Coming. All right. Your Billboard 200, your albums chart. Taylor is back on top with Midnight's at number one. Her Loss by Drake and 21 Savage is at number two. Un Verano Sinti by Bad Booney. I'll say it like you do. At yes. number three, am I allowed to do that? Actually, I'm not sure. That's kind of a blurry area. And number four, <laughs> It's Only Me by Little Baby. And number five, Faith in the Future by Louis Tomlinson, a the forgotten one director uh, that uh, is uh, back, I guess, with another solo yeah. record. We literally, I call him that because literally just the other day we were trying to, Christy and I were trying to name the members of One Direction. We forgot about Louis. <laughs> We were able to name every single one of them, except for Louie. Neil, uh-huh. Zane, uh-huh. Harry, uh-huh. and the rest. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. You're you're missing you're missing um Louie. Louie. And you're missing who's the other one you're missing? Wait. How many are there? There are five? Five. I got three. Four Harry, with Louie. Harry, Louie, Zane. Oh, God. 
Now I'm doing it. Yes. You went out of order. I did. Whatever. Anyways, this podcast is not about naming and the members the of One Direction. Here on Gilligan's exactly. Island. And the rest. All right, let's move on. Uh, new releases this week. Another slow release week because of the late holiday. We have Double Album by NoFX. Yes, that NoFX. And it's just called Double Album. Real creative. We have Indigo by RM, which is another example of BTS artist who is getting their solo record out before they have to go do military duty. And lastly, Premonition by White Lung. Those are your three new releases this week. Or go listen to Taylor Swift and Drake, or yeah. go get ready for Christmas. Yeah. Pentatonics has that album. Oh, no. Michael Buble has right. that Christmas It is album. almost Pentatonic season. Yes. Uh, uh. <laughs> okay. Let's move on. Stop talking about Pentatonics as my camera goes blurry. Uh, let's do the news very slow news week i usually wouldn't cover either of these stories but there was literally nothing else uh, thanks to the thanksgiving holiday except for a bunch of uh people that are trying to rehabilitate chris brown's career but i ignored those stories and i threw them in the garbage where they belong let's move on uh, who's backing that <laughs> uh kelly Rowland. really yeah is out there apparently after the ama is trying to defend him and then jordan mm. spark said some shit you mean like, all right think macy's okay. thanksgiving day parade singer jordan sparks yes macy's thanksgiving day parade <laughs> singer jordan sparks herself yes all right your first news story here is about jennifer lopez uh can you believe it's been eight years since she put out a record uh false no true apparently because this is her Did first she, what? she put out new music earlier this year for marry me that wasn't a full album oh but album various album. artists said Yes, okay. various artists. Anyway, <laughs> Jennifer Lopez is in the news today because she announced Friday morning that a new musical project, This Is Me, dot, 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 now, is slated for release in 2023. It will be the singer's first full-length effort in eight years. Along with a video that shows her in her This Is Me Then era, 20 years ago, morphing into the present day J-Lo, Lopez issued a track listing that includes, among its titles, Dear Ben Part 2, presumably a sequel to the earlier album's Dear Ben. The album's news release reads as follows, quote, heralding a new era of music for Jennifer Lopez, This Is Me Now chronicles the emotional, spiritual, and psychological journey that she has taken over the past two decades. An emotionally raw and honest project, unlike any she has produced before, she writes and sings about her life and experiences that will resonate with us all. In addition, these autobiographical, bleh, Stories informed by the album will result in other very personal projects that will be released next year, dot, dot, dot. More to come on that. Hey, do you think we're going to get some big uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez documentary next year? I think we will. I think we will. And it'll be This Is Me Now, mm -hmm. the tour, the doc, the re-release, the remix. So, I mean, yeah, this makes sense. Uh, a lot of similar artists in her field done similar things. Like, mm -hmm. you can look at Beyonce's self-titled through current era, where she's a little bit more, like, personal. Uh, you could even look at her husband Jay-Z's uh, album 444, where he made a big deal about, like, I'm going to write, a, like, autobiographical songs again. You can also look at Taylor Swift's career recently and how she's leaned in towards the telling these stories personally it's stories. kind of the new thing for artists is to do multimedia now especially that since digital is making it a lot more easier that 
don't want to say TikTok and YouTube, but yeah. just um, producing these documentaries has become a lot more easy, more, more affordable, especially for big name artists that, yeah. sure, why not throw them together? Yeah, honestly, this makes a lot of sense uh, with where she's at in her career. She's been doing this for a while, and I'm sure she has a lot of stories to tell. And also, it's an interesting time in her personal life as well. Kind of a lot of full circle themes happening. So, sure, this is the time to do this. Um, we'll see how the music is. That's the real question now. It's like, what does this thing sound like? I mean, oh. she already did the Super Bowl, so... <laughs> What more do you need? Where should you go from there? Yeah, what more do you go from there? What more do you need when you've done a Super Bowl halftime show? I don't know. We'll find out. Well, she's done half of a halftime show. (laughs) She did it with Shakira. Right. So half of a half? A half half. Yes. All right. Let's move on to our second stories here. Jennifer uh, Lopez is no stranger to the AMAs, the American Music Awards. And they happened this week, uh, last Sunday at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, and we're hosted by Wayne Brady. Uh, in case you're winning, wondering about the big winners, Taylor Swift was the night's big winner, taking home all six of her nominations. Bad Bunny led the pack of nominees with eight nods, ultimately winning two. He was followed by Beyonce, Drake, and Taylor with six each. The Weeknd, Adele, and Harry Styles each had five nominations. Uh, important note here, The Weeknd, this is one award show he doesn't say no to. This year's awards show introduced some new categories this year, including favorite Afrobeats artist, K-pop artist, rock song, and rock album. Wait, you're telling me that the AMAs have never had a rock song or rock album category? Really? <laughs> Man. Is it because they've only done pop? That's weird. Hey, ask Dick Clark. I mean, you can't ask Dick Clark, but ask the ghost of Dick Clark what's up with that. You mean Ryan Seacrest? <laughs> Ryan Seacrest is not the ghost of Dick Clark. It's not like he possessed uh, him after he died. Well, he's the spirited version of him. Interesting theory. <laughs> Anyways, um, while favorite touring artist and soundtrack made a comeback after being excluded during the pandemic for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. Lionel Richie, who has won 17 AMAs throughout his prestigious career, received the Icon Award. CB Wonder, Charlie Puth, and Ari Lennox performed a medley of songs from Richie's extensive catalog. Pink also was there paying tribute to Olivia Newton-John, who of course died last August of breast cancer. So I did not watch the AMAs, and again, I don't usually cover them here on the podcast, uh, but here we are on Slow News Week, and yay, congratulations to the AMA winners. Sure. Congratulations to the winners. One step closer to Grammy season. Yeah. As nominations should be coming out next week in December. We already got the nominations. That's we got the nominations last week. Yes. <laughs> That's how forgettable they were. You yes. literally did not remember. We already did the Grammy nominations last week. That's right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Incredible. All right. Let's move on. Now we could just sweep the AMAs down with them into the other forgettable yeah, pretty uh, much. award ceremonies. Did you listen to anything this week? I listened to a lot of country that, music, actually. Yeah. I listened to a lot of the Marfa tapes because we're sitting around a campfire. And oh, yeah. when you do we're just around a campfire, this is the Marfa tapes. You listen to other people sitting around a campfire. Makes sense to me. Yes. Well, there you go. I did not listen to anything new this week, so I got nothing to talk about. So that means we can move on to video games, our next section here. Mm-hmm. First up in video games are the new releases for this week. World of Warcraft players, you have a new 
uh, a new uh, expansion, Dragonflight, this week. Only on PC, of course. The Night Witch. Good name. Like, knights. Like, K and I. So, I don't know what's up with that. That's on PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Switch, and PC. If you've got it, you can play it. Gundam Evolution for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X. Warhammer 40k Darktide, which is the 40k that's the future version of a game that came out a few years ago. Uh, Warhammer, what was that? It's something called Tide. It's something Tide, and I forget what the Crimson Tide? No, it was not Crimson Tide. that's Alabama. Yeah, that's College Football. (laughs) Um, No, I don't remember. But yeah, this is a sequel of sorts to that, but in the future. Future Rats, if you're ready for Future Rats. That's on PC. Uh, Xbox Series X version of that will come later. Inscription, everybody's favorite card-based game from last year, is finally coming to Switch. The Callisto Protocol, that's your dead space, uh, not ripoff, but imitator. Uh, that's on PS4, PS5, and Xbox, uh, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC this week. Marvel Midnight Suns, that is your Paraxis developed, the XCOM developer's card-based strategy game featuring Marvel superheroes. That was that, delayed yeah. from October. Yes, it's finally out now. PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. And finally, Need for Speed Unbound, the new Need for Speed game from EA that was kind of leaked and everybody kind of knew it was coming out, is out this week. That's next-gen only, PS5, Series X, and PC. Those are your new releases this week. Let's move into right. the news. But as we know, everyone's still playing Pokemon from last week. Yeah, more or less. I mean, or if they're not playing it, they're complaining about it on the internet. Uh, uh, but everyone's those, complaining about it. Yeah, those who are not seasons. complaining about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are talking about how well it sold. Sales of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are off to a record start, according to publisher Nintendo. The platform holder announced on Wednesday that sales of the Nintendo Switch title surpassed 10 million combined units in the first 72 hours following their worldwide release on November 18th. Quote, this is the highest global sales level for any software on any Nintendo platform within the first three days, Nintendo said. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet also sold more boxed copies in the UK during launch than any other game this year. That's according to uh, GFK, I guess, Greater, Greater, like, Kingdom, I don't know, Great Britain, King, I don't know what that stands for. I'm not European. GBK. Yeah, GFK. Sales figures reported by GamesIndustry.biz, which suggests that the game sold more physical copies in its opening weekend than any other game has in the UK during 2022. So in three days, it outsold literally every single other game that came out that year, or this year. While the previous highest record was FIFA 23, came out earlier in the year, but Pokemon Scarlet and Violet sales were reportedly up 4% compared to EA's football game or soccer game for us Americans, despite being on a single format just on Switch. So it sold really well, is basically what you need to know. Uh, that's the news story here, and it will probably continue to sell strongly. The question is, is that does this word of mouth, maybe as negative as it is, maybe spread to a point where maybe no. it stops? No, no, it won't. Because especially Pokemon. with the holidays coming up, it's Pokemon. If you don't have a Pokemon game now, you're going to ask for Pokemon in Christmas. It's the holiday season. That's why they put it out before the holidays. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter what anyone says. If the parent sees it, it's like, oh, Pokemon. I remember Pokemon. Let me give my kids their first Pokemon game of Scarlet and Violet. Or, hey, I know my kid likes Pokemon. I don't think they have this game. I'm going to get it for them. Or right. just like, hey, 
I'm at Target. It's buy two, get one free. <laughs> I'll buy two games I know they want and maybe Pokemon that I, they may want or may not want, but I know someone who will eventually. It's Pokemon. It's going to sell. The games are there to sell. It's, yeah. well, one, they're to sell and then to sell merchandise. They're merchandise, <laughs> merchandise and toys. So it, this is not a surprising story, no matter how many people online complain about the game. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised Because they either. can play every single generation. Also, it comes back to what I was talking about last week, right? Which is that there's going to be a lot wide swath of people who don't even realize that there's the technical issues in this game. Mm-hmm. Most of the Pokemon players are going to be either too young or just not familiar enough with game technology to notice that kind of thing. Now, there are other reasons why people would not like these games, and we'll get into that later when we touch on uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet again in the thoughts section here. But we'll get there. Um, I think if there's a, it's they're complicated games with a lot of questions about them, and there's a lot to talk about. But, but again, we'll get there. But first, let's talk we'll about... We have another story to go for. Yeah, we have another for. story. Our other biggest story this week is back to the old saw. I'm sure this is a video game story of the year at this point. Microsoft's ongoing attempt to purchase <laughs> Activision Blizzard. And all right. Yeah. Let's go to the EU. No, it's not the EU this week. That's the interesting part about the story. They have finally hit the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States. They have now said, they issued a statement this week saying that they are likely to file an antitrust lawsuit to block Microsoft's takeover of Activision Blizzard, according to a new report. So this is according to three sources cited by Politico. FTC chair Lena Khan is going to, quote, rein in the power of the world's largest technology companies, unquote. The report goes on to state that while the lawsuit challenging the deal isn't certain, several within the FTC are skeptical of the company's arguments. The FTC and Microsoft did not immediately respond to questions or to requests for comment, it's claimed. Were the FTC to proceed, it would be a major blow to Microsoft, who is currently fighting across the pond, as you mentioned, against concerns raised by the UK regulator, the CMA. Not that CMA. This is not country's <laughs> biggest night. No. An antitrust lawsuit would mean that Microsoft would also have to fight to push forward its acquisition on the Call of Duty maker in U.S. courts. The FTC was expected to rule on Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard by late November. So not a whole lot of runway left here. Um, and so if they're going to make a call, they're probably going to make a call very quickly to take this to court. Um, yeah, um, not the only uh, antitrust we're going to talk about this podcast, but yeah. we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, this is interesting that they yeah. came out and basically said, we're going to start cracking down on these companies for antitrust. Yeah, I mean, you see this a lot when you have uh, uh, more liberal presidencies. As I was talking about kind of briefly last week, the more conservative presidencies will tar- try to uh, dismantle regulation. And you're likely to you're more likely to see kind of these acquisitions go through. Now you have a little bit more of a liberal uh, FTC, and you're going to see these things be challenged at least more than they used to be. That being said, pretty much every industry pundit last year said this was pretty much bound to happen. Mm-hmm. It's only, I think, because of the immense pressure they're getting overseas in the EU and in the UK specifically, that the FTC is actually looking at that and be like, well, maybe we should question this too. Why are we <laughs> just going to let this thing fly? Maybe there are valid points being brought up. Also, also... As weird as it sounds, I think Sony's inane like chatter about Call of Duty is actually working. 
I think their whole strategy about making Call of Duty a literal thorn in Microsoft's side and bringing it up over and over again and talking about like, well, if they have Call of Duty, no one's going to buy PlayStations anymore, which is, by the way, absolutely untrue and not like in no way is ever going to be the case. That being said, the FTC and these bodies, like they do not understand what that means. They don't know the reality of video games. They just hear, oh, Call of Duty is a name I recognize. I got that for my nephew last year. And they're probably thinking like, oh, that probably is a big deal. It's the highest selling video game that's not Pokemon this year in the US. So it's like, I don't blame anybody at the FTC or overseas or anybody who doesn't know how video games work to just be like, oh, well, Sony's right. What if they do get Call of Duty? Who's going to buy a PlayStation? It's it may, it's a good argument as much as I don't think it's true. It's a good argument for people who don't know the details. It's an argument for exclusivity. It's an argument like for competition, especially when Sony recently came out and said, yeah, sure, we have Battlefield, but that's not going to be a big competition for a thorn in Call of Duty sales. Somebody yeah. get Katie Porter, a whiteboard, <laughs> and some numbers, and let her go to work. Honestly, yes. I, I want to see a Katie Porter, a trademark Katie Porter whiteboard with Call of Duty and, <laughs> and uh, all that on there. That'd be wonderful. Um, no, you're right. And honestly, obviously, yes, I agree that competition is good and it's it's key. And something this big, making a video game company this large, probably bad news in the long run. We don't want this massive consolidation. And I don't think Microsoft really needs Activision to continue its vision of, of Xbox and where it's going. So, yeah, I don't necessarily have a dog in this fight. Um, I don't think it should happen, but Microsoft seems really adamant about it. Uh, but I don't know if they're going to pull it off. It felt like they were going to, but now I'm not sure. I think what needs to happen is that Activision needs to basically say why they need to be bought. Why do they need to be bought by Microsoft? Yeah. Because they don't. Um, They're big enough that they don't. They don't need to. It's Microsoft who needs to make the arguments. Now, whether or not they have a case against them in court is another question. Because I think that depending on who you get involved in these proceedings, I don't know if the Call of Duty argument really holds hold sway in a court i think it works really well as a talking point but we'll see how well it works legally because there's not a whole lot of legal precedent legal like legal argument that they can make there i mean the legal argument is you can set the precedent you can you can be the one who makes the ruling that is the argument yeah well We'll see. Uh, we'll, of course, continue covering the story and we'll see if it does uh, make it to the courts and if we do actually have to have this battle. It <laughs> and could hopefully be... we'll have a resolution by the end of the year. Maybe. Probably not. No, if that yeah, happens. No, because we're going to go into recess soon, right? Winter yeah, recess. The Supreme, yeah, this, yeah, stuff like this is going to take a while. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we might not know a final answer here until deep into 2024. Maybe. Or 2023. Who knows? 2023 is next year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we're right. Maybe 2020. Maybe, maybe that's why I said that. I was like, who knows at this point? Yep. Anyways, let's move on from that story. We have a couple of, uh, I guess, rethoughts uh, games that we've touched upon. So you still have Vampire Survivors here. Did you give this a shot? I thought you put that there. No, you left this. Oh, no, I put that there to play it, but I didn't. Ah, you didn't. I put that for my notes. So I was like, hey, remember to play this game. Even Christy and then I did it, it now. And Christy really likes it too. So, okay. 
Empire Survivors. It's a good game. Yeah, uh, that's why I put that down because it's like a reminder, like make sure you play this game so you have thoughts on it. Christy, what do you think about Vampire Survivors? It's so fun. It's like, uh, like a PC game that I played when I was like a, a little kid because I didn't play video games when I was a kid, and so I was like. Oh my gosh, this is like what I played when I was like, I had a CD-ROM that was like a hundred fun games. And, and most of them you put like push the arrows. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> we were talking about it, it was like, yeah, it does feel like something you found on a Flash site in 2003. And, but it's, but it's deeper than that. There's a lot to unlock. I've unlocked like five new characters the last round I played. I lasted long enough to finally play a one of the levels 30 minutes which uh, which makes death chase you literal death and then <laughs> death killed me and i was like oh man um uh, yeah that game's fun it's cool uh and there's a lot to unlock and a lot to discover so yeah you need to you need to try it before end of the year lists is what i will say yep that's why it's written down there for notes <laughs> yes all right, and then, well, all I've been playing is Pokemon, and yeah, so last week I said kind of my early thoughts about it, um, kind of first impressions in the first two hours. Now I'm well beyond that tutorial. I don't even know how many hours of that thing I've played now, probably upwards of 10, um, and <laughs> definitely upwards of 10. She's sitting there being like, you played like five hours one day. I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> um, way more than that. So yeah. I think you're at like 30 to 40 hours. I'm pretty deep in this game now. Um, so for my more detailed thoughts, you can actually look at my, my co-host, um, I'm at co-host at, at Quacker Trail. If you want to see like this long ass post that I wrote, wrote on co-host about my feelings about Pokemon, Stir Out the Violet and how, like what I think about the reaction to the technical issues. But what I'll say here on the podcast is, yeah, I still think that game is super broken. I still think that the, there's there's some unforgivable texture work there. I think it's an ugly looking game largely. I think that it runs really badly. The cutscene stuff is bad. The the frame rate, like literal characters in the background will literally move like robots because they drop the frame rate to keep the CPU from destroying itself. There's so much tech so many technical issues in this that obviously should be better. Like we talked about last week. They need they needed Nintendo to take a look at this. They needed somebody with technical expertise to take a look at this and make sure it was not released in this state. There's no excuse. Uh, that being said, all of that being said, I am really loving this game. I've been really enjoying every single second of it. It despite how it runs, it is one of the best Pokemon games they've ever released. I love the freedom of exploration. I really am digging the characters in a way that I didn't think I would. I'm getting involved in the storylines um, more than I thought I would originally, and in ways that are different than the ways that I thought I would. There are characters who end up revealed, like who I was like immediately were like, I don't like that guy. Immediately, like like three like events later, there's a reveal. It's like, oh, that's this guy's deal. Okay, I like this guy now. <laughs> and there's stuff going in the background of the Team Star stuff, which is like their version of Team Rocket this generation, which is interesting. It's like, oh, wait, there's like kind of like this Breakfast Club vibe with these like rebel kids who all like got together and formed a group. And you feel kind of bad for them. And like, there's some fascinating storytelling happening here, of course, with the sacrifice of everything else. <laughs> 
It's a game. You like the story. You like yeah. the Pokemon, but the actual graphical and engine of yes. it needs work. It's a game that deserves a better foundation. It's a game that needs to run better because if it did, it would be probably the best Pokemon game they've ever made. But it's so hampered by this that people cannot look past them. And you that's why you see the reactions having on the internet. People are so focused on everything else. So one thing that I want to talk about, and actually, well, Christy was standing right here, but she's doing some work. Uh but yeah, um some uh, wrinkle that we I didn't anticipate since last week is that the open world design of this game could actually be a detractor for some people who maybe aren't as literate with modern open world like game grammar. Like for you say that I'm not literate. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean. Like you don't have the video game context that maybe some of this. So talk about your experience playing this game and maybe not necessarily knowing where always where to go. Okay. Well, technical issues, I'll notice. But (laughs) (laughs) I literally can't get places. I like can't I'm not good at maps and video games and I keep running into a wall or like now I have the now my little pokey motorcycle can drive across the water but before that he couldn't go across the water so I'm just like okay I can't go this way okay I can't go this way and I'm like trying to get to the next like gym or titan or whatever because there's like the three different things that you can go to mm-hmm. and I can't get to it and or when I do get to it it's too hard I'm like oh crap like I finally got to one and now it's too hard and it's very annoying and made me want to give up the other day because I was just like, well, I can't get to it. But here's the nice thing about the co-op stuff. So since last week, we've been able to try some of the co-op and it's a mixed experience. Um, the cool things about the co-op is you get to see everything that your your co-op team party does. So even if they start fighting a, a wild Pokemon, you can just stand there and watch the wild Pokemon fight happen between your friend and the Pokemon. It's pretty cool. Not trainer battles, but wild Pokemon battles you can see. Neat. I think that's pretty cool. But it's not a fully co-op experience. What I mean by that is you're not always doing two and two battles. You're not fighting gyms at the same time. It's pretty much just a mechanic to make the raid battling easier. And it works the same as it did in Sword and Shield in the wild areas. So you're going up to those crystals and making an instant spade, basically. And then your whoever's in your party can join that instance if they choose to and immediately fight that raid together. It's Does cool. It make any sense that you can both catch it because there's only one of them, but whatever. Whatever. Anyway, so there are cool things about it, but one of the coolest thing, and I think the main thing that's cool about the co-op is that if she does get lost, I can go basically join her game and be like, okay, this is how I interpret the map. You want to be over here. I've been there earlier. I know how to get around this mountain. That kind of stuff. Being able to kind of communicate about like, oh, I have this knowledge that you don't because I'm further in the game here. I'm going to help you with this part, this navigation. Because that's the surprising part about this that game, the open world design of this game that I didn't anticipate, which is navigating is more of a puzzle than I thought it was going to be. I imagine when you think of open world design in a lot of open world games, you tend to think of, oh, I'm going to put my uh, thing down and I'm going to just be able to go to the next place, right? If I just walk forward enough, 
in most open world games, your horizons, for example, you'll get there. Mm-hmm. Nothing's really usually in your way. That's not how Scarlet and Violet's open worlds are designed. They're designed in a way that still blocks your progress if you don't have uh, certain things. For example, there might be a city that's straight ahead, but there's a river in between it, and you can't get across that river unless you have certain things you unlock later in the game. So what do you have to do? You literally have to study the map and be like, well, there's a bridge up here. There's a land thing over here. What's closer for us to get to? And how do we cross this river and then make our way kind of sideways against the coast to get to the city that we want to get to? And then guess what? You get to almost there and a trainer beats up all of your Pokemon. It sends you back to the Pokemon Center. And guess what? You can't fly back there. You have to walk all the way back there eventually, which I refuse to do. Yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah, this was something that happened to us when we were doing co-op. We had find we we were like, okay, we're gonna go to this city because it has a gym leader that neither of us have fought. And we're like, oh well, we got to this coastline. We can travel up the coastline right and get there. We even saw a sign that was like, oh, detour to X city. And we were like, okay, that's the city we want to go to. Cool, we found the detour. Again, really cool, like mm-hmm. organic storytelling, like very cool game design because it's like we thought we could do this. Turns out we can. Then there but, was some. Hippie hiker guy up there with a Pokemon that was 40 years old. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah, a little 40 guy was just up there. We were like, we're like not, we're like, I'm barely level 40, my Pokemon right now. And so this was, this is a challenge for us. And so we get there and like, we didn't anticipate the challenge to be that challenging. I had an inkling though, that this city was going to be like a high level city. Turns out I'm right, but we didn't know until we got there. So yeah, we're on this hike high on this cliff, and this white hiker wipes her out. And you automatically, when you're wiped out, go to the last Pokemon Center you heal. It at. took like 40 minutes to get there. And it <laughs> drove us all the way back. I cried. So anyway. I'm so sad. Anyway, my point here is that this is equal parts fascinating and frustrating for me. Because I feel like it's fascinating that Game Freak was willing to make a game like this. Willing to actually make like Pokemon like challenging again, but in a different way than it was challenging before, right? They brought in the part of people that why people like open world games and why like people like, for example, Elden Ring earlier in the year. Again, I go into this in that co co host post, but I'll reiterate it here, which is like, you know, how the conversation about Elden Ring uh, when it came out was like, it's an interesting Dark Souls game because it lets you bail if something's too hard. Mm-hmm. similar here except almost the opposite for people who want that challenge pokemon scarlet and violet offer it by saying hey if this path you're taking is too easy go the other way it's the opposite of the Elden ring and it's like it's fascinating what they've chosen but the place where that backfires is what christy is talking about here if you do not have open world context if you haven't played games like this navigating an open world is hard and i get why even though I had More that like context. World, mm-hmm. am I right? <laughs> <Close word. laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's like <laughs> anyway, so it's interesting. It's interesting having like if you don't know necessarily how to navigate an open world, if you're like, oh well, how am I supposed to get around this this obstacle? How, do I go over this mountain? Do I go through this city? Kind of thing. Also, the idea of fast traveling to different points of and the map maybe natural understanding for some people, but maybe not for others. 
it's like they just assume that everybody is going to play this game played Breath of the Wild three years, four years ago. And I don't know if that's a fair assumption to make, even if they own a Switch. This game is just like play, it's going on fairhood. Yeah, but that's also like where open world games have been gone in the past couple of years. So they're expecting yeah. people who have played open world games and this may or may not be in their first experience yeah. with it. So I wonder, Although being a Pokemon game, they probably should have guessed that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying is I wonder what this part of the reaction is. It's just that it's so hard to find people talking about the game here because the discourse is so much about the technology. The technology, yep. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to take a moment to actually talk about these things as games because I feel like that's getting buried lately. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's our experience with Pokemon Scarlet Violet. Like I said, I really enjoy it. I think it's really cool. This is definitely on my top five this year. No issues. Technical issues be damned. I still think there's a lot to like here, and I think that they're worth playing. But God, it needs a patch. God, anything for a patch. Just to make something smoother about this. Unless they're just fundamentally like this, and maybe we'll never see it. Yes. Um, so. Also, there's no clothes. Oh yeah, also yes. we talked about this last time. We talked week. about that last time. But yeah, it's very frustrating that they're limited. That you're not you're not allowed to change your outfit. It's just Yes, you must stay in school uniform. Yeah. Like I feel like this, the accessories I bought, like I bought some accessories for my trainer, and like now I feel like I don't need to buy anything else. I'm like, I've done it. I'm done. I'm done customizing it. I look the way I want to look. It's fine. I'm done. <laughs> Which is frustrating because in Sword and Shield. I changed my clothes all the time, like literally mm -hmm. every time, because there was like a ramp up to it. There was stuff that you had to like save like a hundred thousand monies for that I ended up buying. Like, oh, this nice leather jacket. Yes, I want the nice leather jacket. <laughs> like, can't do that here. It's just not the same. But may I have closing thoughts? Yes. Okay. Yes. Christy's closing thoughts on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. I wish it was Kalos. Yeah, we really like X and Y. Yeah. It was so good, and it was not too hard. And it was cute and perfect. And I had my little zap tender. And um, that's Pikachu. That's Pikachu. Um, <laughs> if you were wondering. And everything was great. And yeah. now it's not. <laughs> I don't know. I really like this, this game. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, I may be the only person saying that by the end of this year, but I'm okay with now, that. Are you liking it because you got license plate? I do love my little license plate, which is my Tropius. Uh, she falls asleep literally every time we stop moving. It's adorable. Um, and she just has the hardest time versus anybody. She's just like, she's not a great Pokemon. That's the thing. I was hoping that this would be the generation that they actually uh, buffed Tropius, that Tropius would get better stats. No, no, Tropius is still an awful Pokemon. But that's why I love them so much. They're the underdog, and I always root for the underdog. And their fruits are just hanging off their little chin like this. You just want to grab one of those bananas and eat it. You just want to eat it. You just want to eat their fruit. It's just, they're adorable and perfect. But only twice a year. Only twice a year. All right. Anyway, we need to stop talking about this and move on yes. to other things to wrap this show up. Yes. So. Uh, one bit in video game news. Yes. Marvel Snap had their one month um, video, like yes. Town Hall kind of open video, sure. where they announced some new updates coming, okay. including the chance to get new cards by pinning them. They have a new system of acquiring a new currency uh, for everyone who's like gone to like the pool three and pool fours above, like okay. thousand plus where I'm at right now. Um, to where if you're looking for certain cards but are having trouble trying to pull them mm -hmm. from the collector's cash, 
that you'll be able to pin a card and purchase it with that extra currency eventually. Neat. So, yeah, uh, let's, I mean, this is instead of them having different packs, mm -hmm. but I think it's a good, it's definitely good because there are certain cards that I'm trying to find, but I also don't want to keep like leveling up myself and like facing tougher opponents until I get like the certain card. Sure. I also don't know when I'm going to get it. So the ability to like actually pin a card and like purchase that specific card and not a variant of it is really smart. And I'm really glad that they're like putting some thought into this. Do you think though that this is them inching a little too close to pay to win? No, because you still have to win games. You still have to open collector's caches okay. to get the extra currency. Okay, so and like... then if you are above those levels right now, they'll like give you like what you should be like okay. roughly have. So they're still like a couple steps away from there. That's yeah, good. they're out. They're inching towards the edge, but they're not falling it over. Feels like yet. it, but not yeah. quite. So it's an it's a it's a clever little uh in between that they're trying to pull here. Yep. But hey, I mean that's good for people who like the collection aspect of Snap. Also, I'm level 65 on the season pass right now, trying to get to the infinite. Jesus. Inching close. <laughs> You're very, I, very I got close. two weeks away. I got, so after this one, there's only one more week of it. So I'm like, ooh, can I do it? 30 levels in a, like 10 days. Let Maybe. me know when you're level 69. That will. <laughs> That'd be nice. All right, nice. move on. Television. The yep. only thing in sports this week is, you have is the, the Westminster Dog Show. Yep. <laughs> it's a sport. That's not sports. It's a sport. Oh, they're sporting breeds, she says. Uh, so, yes, if you, in case you didn't watch it, the Winston French Bulldog was your best in show this year. And no, he was such Winston. a cutie. Was the name of the yeah. French bulldog? Yeah. Sorry, Winston, the, the French bulldog. The he was the number one dog in the country, which they mentioned like fifteen times. Yes, and he was so cute, like a little nugget, all little buff and jacked. And yeah, stuff. he was like. Anyway, so yeah, that happened. Also, I'm sure college football happened. College football championships are happening this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, this weekend is the last regular season games. So, like today, Michigan's playing Ohio State. Sorry, the, the Ohio the State. The Ohio State. Yes. Yep. Um, and then uh, USC is playing Notre Dame in a rival game. Uh, Florida and Florida State played North Carolina, North Carolina State. All uh, Iron Bowl is later today too. All the rivalry games are today, this Saturday. Next Saturday is going to be the championship games, and that'll be determined who's in the bowl games the following week. All right, and then. Football, football, NFL, you had your classic um, Thanksgiving matchups. Yep. And you um, have nothing yep, to say about that. <laughs> I mean, Giants and Cowboys were the most watched game for Thursday night for a Thursday night football game. Mm -hmm. uh, so congratulations to both the Cowboys and the Giants. <laughs> Maybe. I don't Maybe. know. Your fantasy teams may have been messed up by that game. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah. Three games, three decent games. Uh, Detroit almost beat uh, Buffalo, so that yeah. was very exciting to watch. They were all <laughs> close and exciting games, so cool. you know, all day around, a uh, good day for Thanksgiving football. All right. Well, there you go. Anything else in sports, uh, or whether or was it kind of a slow week? Well, the other thing that people are talking about is the World Cup, but I'm not talking about the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's happening. Just, just assume that they're it's happening still in, in the background. They're still in pool play. 
Um, no one has been. Actually, I think Qatar has been officially yes. eliminated now. The first team eliminated is the host country. Yes. Yes. A wonderful kind of karma. Well, because Qatar has never qualified for the World Cup, and the host nation auto qualifies for right. the World Cup. So, what do you know? Turns out that they weren't ready. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, other than that, uh, they're still in pool play right now, and then seeding will take place next week. All right. Well, then in that case, let's move on from sports and into television news proper. And yes, like you said earlier in the show, we return to the subject of antitrust, as an antitrust lawsuit has been brought against Walt Disney Company in a case that targets their dual role as a content supplier and distributor in business dealings, of course, talking about streaming networks. Disney operates Hulu, which, by the way, is the country's second largest live streaming pay TV provider, in case you weren't paying attention, and also controlling, of course, ESPN, which is carried by pretty much everywhere. The proposed class action to be carried by everyone everywhere. Yes. So this is a proposed class action suit brought on by YouTube TV subscribers that accuses Disney of managing the businesses as a single entity, claiming that the arrangement allows the company to negotiate anti-competitive agreements with competitors that have inflated the cost of live television streamed over the Internet. Here's the quote. Since Disney acquired operational control over Hulu in May 2019, Prices across, or more like inherited, I think is the word that I would personally use. It was kind of like the situation where, say, your manager leaves and you have to become the manager in their stead. Same kind of vibe here, where it's like Disney kind of ended up with Hulu. (laughs) Well, that's also kind of their plan when they purchased 20th Century Fox. Yes, it was part of it, for sure. Anyways, prices across the streaming live pay television market, including for YouTube TV, have doubled reads this complaint. Continuing the quote, this dramatic market-wide price inflation has been led by Disney's own price hikes for Hulu plus live TV. So, the suit points to guidelines in Disney's contracts with live streaming pay TV competitors that require them to carry ESPN as part of the cheapest bundle they offer. The term effectively restricts the ability of Disney's rivals to provide an option that omits ESPN cable's most expensive channel that Disney owns. Verizon in 2015 started to offer so-called skinny bundles, taking advantage of ambiguity in contracts that didn't expressly cover distribution of ESPN over the internet to end Disney's long-running mandates on pay TV packages, but then Disney sued Verizon, claiming the downgrading of ESPN as an add-on tier was a violation of its carriage agreement. Verizon eventually capitulated because people like ESPN and they want ESPN in their packages. It's kind of a dual-ended thing, right? As much as it's easy to be like, man, if Disney really is using ESPN as the pawn in their chess game here, then maybe that is messed up. But the flip side of that argument is people want ESPN in their package. And it Mm -hmm. makes sense to offer it in the cheapest package because if it wasn't there, I don't think people would be very happy. You know what they should do? Create a competitive sports network that doesn't fold like yes. NBC Sports yes. or Fox Sports or any of them. Yes. So so easily. But you know, ESPN does have the foothold. They have the college games, they're exclusive to them. So people want ESPN. They need ESPN. Same thing with basketball and baseball, that they will have block blackout games for for specifically ESPN. Yeah. And then there's like the X games and 
yeah, it just keeps going on and on and on. Yeah. Um, so, people need it as part of like their basic bundle. Disney puts that into their contracts. And if you're going to get Disney, you're going to get ESPN. And I think that a lot of that is why this is maybe actually a good case because if you really delve into it, it is kind of a very important but often overlooked part of the Disney empire, right? Mm-hmm. And we've even had stories over the last five years on this show about maybe ESPN's waning over the years and maybe isn't as important as it used to be, but it's still ESPN. And you're right. In a lot of cases, it's the only game in town, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. And so there's an argument to be made about Disney maybe taking advantage of the popularity and ubiquity of ESPN in their dealings with this kind of thing and allowing them to make these price hikes in a way that maybe you didn't consider on face value because like, yeah, like you just think like, Oh, well, all the prices are going up, but these guys are asking why. And that's a valid question. And we talk about whenever price hikes go up, like, Oh, they're going to raise it another $2. They're going to raise another $3 here. But yeah, we, we, we talk about it every year. Like, Oh, here's your annual price increase. Yeah. All of a sudden, like the YouTube TV subscribers are saying, it's practically doubled over the past three years. Yeah, it just your sucks that forty dollar your thirty nine ninety nine forty dollars a year yeah. is now eighty dollars a year, and hey, that's just cable again. And yeah, people have been saying they'll just turn out like cable. And hey, off, as foretold. Yeah, it just I think the most frustrating thing is it's always sports as the like the grease, right? Because sports is still the thing that is the only reason why people have traditional cable packages as opposed to these streaming things because of yep, local sports yep, channels. Right here. Two big hands thrown yeah. up right here. Yeah, it's just, it's absurd. The sports is always the, is the kicker. Is the, oh, man, again, because no the intended. only thing that benefits from being watched live. Live. It's the last thing. It's the last mm-hmm. thing people want to watch live. And so, yeah, it's it's, just, it's it's frustrating in so many ways that there isn't a really good consumer-friendly version uh, like option to watch sports stuff because it's all owned by these different corporations that want to silo it and make you sign up for their thing specifically. So yes, well, it's, it's why like uh, NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA have their own different like league yeah. passes or season passes that you can purchase, but then you're paying each individual one and yeah. you have to watch each individual. You don't get like the highlights from ESPN. You don't get the the condensed version right. that ESPN can give you. And also, in a lot of those packages, you don't even get the games that are on those services. Yes, because of TNT, you can be a blackout. Yeah. I was looking at the NBA From one. local markets. Right, yeah. I was looking at the NBA one. It's like, oh, anything on ESPN or AT&T, they black out. So why would you... Like, you're not getting every game. Like, yeah. the only way to get every game is to literally, like, have five different subscriptions running. That's obnoxious. Why, why, why is life like this? <laughs> So yeah, it's frustrating. I think they have a case here. Honestly, I think I would love to see this class action suit go forward because I would love to see the question of the continuous rising price of live TV streaming packages questioned. I want to see this brought up because I want to see the companies make an excuse because they probably don't have one. They're probably just like, well, we can. That's not good enough. I want to see something like this show, like make them show their, like show their hand. Like I want to see this explained further and maybe we see some movement on that price maybe 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 all right let's move on to our second story here this is a little bit of an update about the ongoing uh story of the next eurovision so as you know uh 
the war, uh, the currently afflicted of, uh, uh, with war, still continuing war, uh, Ukraine won Eurovision last year. So now, the organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest have extended voting to its global audience and reduced the role of juries following voting irregular irregularities that marred this year's competition. In the most drastic rule changes in its 67-year history, the winning song will now be picked by viewers across the world in combination with a jury of music professionals, the European Broadcasting Union announced on Tuesday. Juries will not, however, be involved in how countries are selected for the final. These changes, which have been approved by the contest's, contest's reference group, came after, quote, irregular voting patterns were identified in national jury votes from six countries. As a result, <coughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. As a result, jury votes were removed from Azerbaijan, Georgia, Montenegro, Poland, Romania, and remote Romania, Romania, <laughs> and San Marino. I was getting ahead of myself there. Yes. Setsi Baker, a Dutch member of the reference group and pro former producer of the event, said the changes were made to ensure fair play in the future. Baker or Bakker also defended the new system against claims that audiences votes would produce unfair results. He tweeted, quote, it is fair, just not objective. No measure is in a contest that is ultimately judged by people's personal tastes and, in case of the juries, professional evaluation of the artistic elements. So some changes under the hood over at Eurovision, some uh, things that they're trying to avoid potential, like you mentioned in the middle of that story, bot rating to mm -hmm. affect the votes. Um, does this lead to a, quote, more fair Eurovision? I guess we'll see. I don't know, because you can get a, a lot of TikTok army out there to <laughs> uh, vote, especially when you open it to a global audience. Right. Of, hey, like, vote for this person. Like, call this number or text this number. Hit vote. Go sign up now. Yeah. I mean, we kind of saw that with our own American version of it. We did, yes. Uh, where the K-pop uh, song eventually won that contest, which I don't know if it was like the best it was like Alice in Wonderland themed, so maybe, but yeah, you know, that's what kind of the thing that happens when you open it up to the internet to like a global, uh, yeah. a global contest. You're just saying so that you does it, be, does it still become Eurovision though if everyone is allowed to vote? I mean, yes, because the competitors are still from the Europe, from Europe largely, yes. right? Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, sure, I mean, if they want to try to retool it. We'll see. We'll see if it works. Um, I still, yeah, I still am not going to be somebody who is going to pay attention to all of Eurovision. I just don't have that kind of time. Uh, but, but Monoskin. I, I don't get Monoskin. I just don't get them. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm missing something. You're anyway, missing the rock element. You're missing the live element. Missing something. I don't know. Anyways, let's move on from that. Speaking of live concerts. Yes. So I didn't even know this was a thing until you texted me asking if I was watching it. Turns out the answer was no. Because I didn't know it existed. Uh, but I didn't know it existed either because I was going to watch something else instead. You watched a live stream on Disney Plus of the final Elton John farewell concert at Dodger yes. Stadium. I didn't realize this was going to be a thing because we had just talked about Netflix doing live streaming for uh, Chris Rock. Yes. And then I get a thing on my phone that says, hey, from Disney saying, hey, don't forget to watch Elton John live. I'm like, Wait, what? Disney? What do you mean? You never do anything live. <laughs> so I turned it on and I watched it, and 
I kind of liked it. Uh, it did have a feel of the YouTube life uh, that they do from like Coachella. Yeah. Um, a lot of the same vibe, uh, especially with the different shots that they were um, choosing and different music compilations, uh, especially in the beginning, um, like doing all, all the interviews with people, guests coming in and out. Uh, part of me was like, is this pre-recorded? Because this feels pre-recorded. But then there were like, it showed like the people like in the stadium that they had shot and like they found them. It was like, yeah, see, it's not pre recorded. Like, we, we watched, we got this live. Yeah. So it was fun to watch. Um, the actual concert itself, very emotional, especially towards the end because this is his last concert, especially in Dodger Stadium. So technically, not his last concert because he still has a um, Australian leg to do and then wraps it up in the UK at the O2 Arena, I want to say. That sounds right. It's either O2 or Wembley. Um, but this was his last U.S. concert in Dodger Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was nice. It was good to see that is live. Um, I'm not a big Elton John fan, but what he did play, I was like very moved and touched. I was like, you know, I'm glad I'm watching this live. Thank you, Disney, for doing this. <laughs> so, so yeah, Elton, do you play all the hits? Thank you for saving me like seven hundred dollars for a ticket. Yes, <laughs> honestly. Uh, so he played all the hits. I'm guessing he definitely played the hits. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you got what you got to do. Yeah, yep. But it's uh, now available to uh, watch on Disney Plus. You don't have to watch it live, but yeah. just that it was recorded live during uh, his final show in the U.S. Yep. All right. Cool. Uh, you watch anything else of note this week? Yes. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special came out yesterday. So we'll give that a week to simmer, and I'll talk about my thoughts right. on it next week. Got but it. spoilers, it's pretty good. Well, good. Good to know. I watched one thing I'm typing right now. The Great British Bake Off uh, ended. Uh, the season is over. We have a winner. Um, and in our opinion, at least in this household, the right person won. So we were very happy uh, with the results of that one. Good final. Uh, real tough competition this uh, this this year. The last three were all pretty evenly matched, more or less, by the end of it. I mean, maybe one, maybe not. So, uh, but but regardless, it was a fun competition to watch and uh, good season overall. I think. What was the final Bake Off? They had to do what was the last thing they had to do? It was like just like. Oh, it was like a cake. It's like a ridiculous cake sculpture that had to like did it have any specific requirements or it was just kind of just like eh I think it's no, hard it had to do with the earth or something oh yeah it had to be like, like nature themed or like earth themed or something <laughs> for like I don't know anyways the thing with it yeah there are often a lot of like like very specific challenges but yeah. usually with the finale they kind of let them have more creativity with it and they're kind of just like, I don't know, make something cool. And so that's kind of the vibe of the last one. So it wasn't necessarily the most challenging thing they had to do. It was. I mean, maybe. They had to have <laughs> Challenge different... themselves, I guess. No, because it had to have very specific elements. Like you had yeah. to have this many pastry and this like, uh-huh. it had to have like three or four like baking elements. So like you had to put in your like... You know, there had to be pastry, or there had to be like certain things that they had to make. You know, whatever. Anyways, whatever. anyways, if you see the the bake off, you know more or less what to expect. But yeah, yes. Uh, overall, good season. Uh, we had a fun time with it. Um, trying to think. Oh yeah, tournament champions. Uh, Jeopardy wrapped up. Uh, yes. so we now have wrapped a winner up on Monday. Yep, we have a winner there. Uh, 
what a great tournament. I mean, mm-hmm. trust me, I will be talking about this at the end of the year because this has been some amazing television on Jeopardy this year, and I definitely think it's it's made my top five. Uh, who knows where it will Although, I will say that final Jeopardy question was too easy, I think. I mean, yeah, you're always going to hit an easy final every once in a while. Uh, but, but yeah, um, it was a good tournament. And I again, we think the right person would. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, yeah, what else? Yes. What else? What else? Um, I think those are the two major things for us this week. Right. So I was wrong last week, andor finally wrapped up this week. I might finish it. I might not. I still have andor watch. Yeah. Oh, and also, uh, we also want to mention, yeah, that there's also the holiday themed uh, Bake Off is now on yep. on Netflix as well. We watched one of those as well. Anyways, I think that's good. Do you have anything else we want to talk about before we move on? Um, as I mentioned last week, fall finales are occurring, yep. so get ready for themed Christmas episodes everywhere coming yes. uh, in December. Yes, plenty of those will be on their way. Yep. But in the meantime, let's move on to our last, our uh, to cancellations and renewals. We just have one show this week that is getting renewed: the Dev, the Devil's Hour, or as I like to call him, the Devil. Uh, it's probably getting renewed in season two on Prime Video. Getting two seasons on Prime Video. Oh, sorry, yes, plus two seasons, yes. yes. Uh, two more seasons of the Devil Devil's Hour. Then we have one death to talk about real quick. Uh, millennials, get your hankies out. Jason David Frank, age 49, the original Green Ranger from the Power Rangers. Yep. Yes. That's he was also one. the White Ranger. Well, yes, as the story goes. And the Red Ranger. Yes. And the Red uh, Ranger. Yeah, uh-huh. And then the Black Ranger. Yeah, uh, just go through the, the yep. timeline for us who don't yes. know. Uh, but yes, definitely uh, hit a chord with a lot of people nostalgic for that era of the, the Power Rangers, for sure, this week. Definitely a sad one, especially young, 49. Yep. But um, Basically, at the time, became the face of Power Rangers. Even absolutely, though was, yes. One of the original members, but he was definitely the longest-running Power Ranger and showed off his martial arts skill. was like... Yeah. A, I've level five black belts, I want to say, as own like dojo. Yeah, it's it's that studio. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, he's like he was the one that kept coming back for the future seasons and was just like mm. he was the one who played he played ball with them more than anybody else, which was cool. So yep. yeah. Good. I mean, uh, yeah, what a career, but like yeah, sad to see him go at such a young age. Yeah, especially forty nine. Yeah, forty nine. That's rough. Yeah, because they just did a thirtieth anniversary special. They did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, rough. Anyway, let's move on to our last section here, which is movies. And we all start the movie section with the weekend box office numbers. Your number one film this week is still Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Another $66.4 million. That's sitting pretty at 287 domestic. Number two, The Menu, with a debut of $9 million. I didn't realize this was getting such a wide release. Yeah, I guess so. There you go, The Menu. And number three... The Chosen Season 3, Episode 1 and 2. What is happening here? Do not know. Is it a television show? I guess they got a theatrical release this week. Uh, I want to say this is anime. It's probably anime. We don't know know what it is. I want to say it's anime. Well, I made an 8.7 million debut this week. So it really goes to show you how many people who saw the movie this week were just seeing Black Panther. Number four, Black Adam. Still hanging on four point six million dollars. That's at one fifty seven. Of course, the question here is: Is this movie successful enough 
for all the things they wanted to do with the rocks black adam character is that movie with him versus superman going to be made now like there's a lot of questions about black adam someone go ask uh, james gunn someone ask james gunn exactly and rounding out your top five this week ticket to paradise still here 3.1 million dollars that's at 61 million and then in case and you're wondering that what just happened, shows how it got legs. Yeah. That thing opened to like a $9 million opening weekend. It's still and it ticking. hit up to 61. Hey, George Clooney will bring people in. It'll just take yep. a while, I guess. But then, Roberts will bring people in. Just exactly. takes a while. Yeah. Um, but in case you're wondering where the other debut last week landed, she said with only a $2.2 million debut is at number six, just beyond the top five. So it's hanging in there, but yeah, just just under the the threshold here. Upcoming this week, your uh, releases. So we went over the four big Thanksgiving releases. We have one kind of leftover release coming this uh, this Friday on the second. Violent Night, which is your Christmas themed horror movie. Yes, sorry, exactly what you Harbor. think it is. Santa will yes. kill you. Yes, it is indeed that. It is Santa yes. going on a violent rampage. You know. I'm sure there's very there's various versions of the same idea that all exist. So so another one of those. Yeah. But well, it's not it's not a bad Santa. It's a violent Santa. Yeah, a violent Santa. It's different. He's very bad, but, but worse than bad Santa. <laughs> worse Santa. Worse. Worse Santa. Santa. Worst the worst Santa. <laughs> the worst Santa. All right, let's move on to the big news, uh, uh, which is of course in the movie news this week. Oh boy. What a corporate shakeup at Disney, something that nobody saw coming. After less, not the CEO, Bob Chapek. not Bob Chapek. <laughs> After less than a year of retirement, Bob Iger has returned as the CEO of Walt Disney Company. The company's board, known for making corporate shakeups at that, in that company, uh, I read Disney War, ask me anything about it. Uh, has sent out a notice that Bob is back and Bob is out. That makes sense. Iger will be a CEO for a second time for the next two years, the company says. His mission will also include identifying a successor. Uh, well, you know, something Iger had difficulty doing Again. while commanding. Uh, I last think he time. was going to, but yeah. uh, they kind of forced his hand, just said, if you're not going to pick anyone, we're just going to put this guy in. Yeah, uh-huh. that's what they did. Um, postponing multiple plans to step down during his 15 years in the top job. Quote, we thank Bob Chapek for his service to Disney over his long career, including navigating the company through the unprecedented challenges of the pandemic, said Susan Arnold, chairman of the board. Quote, the board has concluded that as Disney embarks on an increasingly complex period of industry transformation, Bob Iger is uniquely situated to lead the company through this pivotal period. So, Outside of the corporate speak, it seems like what industry analysts are saying was the reason. It's all about Disney+. Plus. Apparently, streaming is the focus here. Streaming has lost them billions since they started the Disney Plus enterprise. Apparently, corporate-wise, it's a big thorn in everyone's side, especially the board of directors. So, of course, they look at the top. Whenever the board has a problem in Disney's history, they always look at the top. In the past, this has usually been spurned on by members of the Disney family. The members of the Disney family are traditionally very powerful on the board, and they are usually the ones to say, well, I just don't like the vibes right now. Let's get new vibes in. And this is usually what happens. The Disney cycles traditionally like, mm, I don't know, this one thing kind of blew up in our faces. Who do we blame? Oh, yeah, let's get the CEO out of here. 
And in the past, it's been the source of a lot of violent, like, like, like back and forths in the corporation. And here's another one. Disney is this company that just keeps happening over and over again. You keep having these like, oh, well, I don't know. I guess it's this guy next. I mean, Bob Iger coming in after Eisner was very much this vibe, which was like, well, I guess since we got rid of this guy, who do we get in? Well, I mean, this guy ran ABC for all these years. Let's bring him in. And that's how Iger got his job. And so this was very much the Chapek, as you mentioned, situation was very similar, which is just like, well, Bob's not picking a guy. Iger's like dragging his feet, but he wants to retire. He wants to be done. Like, I guess this is the next best guy we got. A lot of guessing happening here. Um, well, Chapek gambled, I think, really hard on the restructuring that he tried to do with the company. He was so focused on getting streaming to be the focal point of the thing that he kind of did it at the sacrifice of everything else. That's why you see parks spiraling over the last few years. The pandemic ruined the parks industry for them. They had to rebuild it. And what they did is they rebuilt it in the most convoluted, complicating thing for Disney fans to do. It, I, I added heard three somebody, different layers. Yeah. They got rid of, like, they added the Magic Pass. They got added, like, the, the Genie Plus system. Yeah. They added so many extra little minutia things to Nickel and Don you. Yeah. That... I, the parks where Bob Chapek came from, yeah, kind of suffered the most. Yeah, somebody on a podcast I listened to this week said they made going to the parks feel like wedding planning, mm-hmm. where it's like you almost have to get up at like five in the morning on the day of to choose what rides you go on. Who's going to do that besides the Disney adults? It's like they made a system that cannot be parsed by anybody who's not a thirty-five-year-old who loves Disneyland. Like it's not just possible for your average family now to do what they need to do to go on a vacation which is the opposite of what the whole idea was they kept saying over and over again like oh we're sacrificing the annual pass because the locals are abusing it but this just makes the locals have more power they're the ones who know how the system works better than the 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 tourists Mm -hmm. do it's slanted this whole thing didn't work it was an experiment that is ultimately nobody's happy with nobody likes how disneyland works anymore and so it'll be really interesting to see what Iger does there. Also interesting is what he does with Disney+. Plus. Why is it hemorrhaging money is a good question to ask. What happened? It, it lost $30 billion over the course of the year. Yeah. But couple that with that, it makes, it brings in about $1.6 billion yeah. a month. Yeah. So the thing that comes up to like 50% loss of $30 billion a year, then roughly like $15 billion income so you're still losing yeah. 15 billion in just programming content yeah so there's a lot of questions about what Iger will choose to do uh i think some of the quotes that i heard over the week uh that said what he wanted to kind of his mission statement was he is going to uh, reconsider the restructure he's basically going to look at everything chapek did and then maybe fix it and then kind of shuffle reshuffle around the corporate uh hierarchy he may bring back some of the people that chapek fired i imagine uh, yeah. like tim rice he also said the right things, uh, at least if you're a creative in the company, and said that he wants the focus to be back on the creatives, giving creative leads more power, which is something that I have to admit, Iger did do a lot of when he was CEO. This is the p- period of time where he did put, you know, for better or for worse, creative creative heads on on their big uh, on their big uh, kind of silos, corporate silos. It's the reason why John Lasseter was head of animation until he was ousted. It was the reason why the people who replaced him were also creative people and not necessarily business people. 
he was good in that way of getting the creative leads to take the lead on, at Disney. That didn't happen with JPEG. JPEG put a lot of marketing people in those head in those head roles, and you saw a lot of that kind of business focused attitude from JPEG. Maybe we'll see if 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 Tiger is right here. If that quote is true, maybe we do see some of that creative energy back in the company. But what do they ultimately do with Disney Plus? I think is the question. Is this the time where you roll Hulu in? Is this a time where you simplify, especially in the face of a potential class action lawsuit? Is this when they try to save face and say, it's all Disney Plus now. Internationally, it's all Disney Plus now. Get rid of the star branding. Wrap everything into a right big now, burrito and just you buy the burrito. Maybe. Okay, Chipotle. Yes. <laughs> a big Chipotle, delicious Chipotle burrito full of all your Disney content. Yes. Uh, not written in the story here because it literally broke last night. Yeah. But there was also some shuffling going about in terms of production dollars from Disney Plus to live action Disney. Yeah. Um, in terms of like shows being premiered on the Disney Channel, so they become Disney Channel budget, mm-hmm. even though they were sequels or shows primarily made for Disney Plus. So they should have gone to Disney Plus. Budget. Yeah. Some Disney accounting going on. Yeah, or I wonder if you... Mickey Mouse accounting? Is yeah, it... Mickey, some really Mickey Mouse accounting going on. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you do see, like, maybe some changes about where things happen. Because I think the Disney Plus focus maybe did some movies a disservice. We can ask ourselves for the rest of time how well a theatrically released Turning Red would have done. Mm-hmm. We'll never know. A lot of Pixar movies that deserved a theatrical run got the shaft, and a lot of ones who didn't uh, suffered because of it. Like you see, Lightyear, uh, Lightyear's disappointing performance this year. It's like, well, should they have released that theatrically? Maybe not. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe they need to recalibrate where things get released. I mean, let me get this. Let me be clear here, though. There are some things that deserve to be buried in streaming. I'll get there. I'll talk about one of them in the thoughts section here. <laughs> But there are other movies that are probably debuting on streaming that do deserve other places. I think something could be, as you're talking about, a bigger hit on cable, for example. Then maybe they're going to take more advantage of the different release areas they have in the Disney Enterprise instead of just saying, well, everything's on Disney Plus because of course it is. Right, because we've talked about on this podcast, even um, on Disney Channel, um, of the animated shows being cut, of the live action shows being cut, that they're just going to a lot of repeats, a lot of um, shows, new shows going to Disney Plus to try and get those streaming numbers and win the streaming wars while ignoring cable. Yeah. One of their, like, bare bones base instant money. It's money, like, generators. Yeah. I mean, they know what works now. Revenue. Why can't I think of the word revenue? God damn it. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, that, that there's a lot of questions about uh, Iger taking back over. There's a lot of questions about where Chapek made the wrong decisions and why. And like, yeah. And like, ultimately, do we see a different look for Disney in the coming years? How does this affect Marvel and plans going forward for that enterprise? Like, there's a lot of questions. Uh, so we'll see uh, what happens when he takes the steering wheel back. But I think ultimately the question then turns to, Who's next? Again, I've always been who's next with Iger, though. He has to do it this time, though, because somebody has to succeed him. He's got two years now. He's got a deadline. Does he make it? 
Does he f- finally convince Kevin Feige? <laughs> no, there's no way Feige takes that job. It's not he doesn't want it. I know he doesn't want it because no. he's running all parks. So he's fairly interested in Marvel. Yeah, I think he wants to focus on the, his bread and butter. I don't think he wants to run that company. That's he the thing about the, Disney. He does have to deal with uh, Star yeah. Wars with Lucasfilm right. to create a new trilogy. Yeah. But even even going back to the Disney War era, like eighty four to, to to two thousand four, the recurring sentiment to this day and back then was nobody wants to run Disney. It's an impossible task. It's like being the fucking president. It's too much stress. It's too much power, and the people who do it are routinely burned out, just like the president. And they come out on the other end of it being like grayed out remnants of who they were before. It's why Iger tried to retire so many times. So yeah, nobody. It's a job that nobody wants. It's a largely thankless job, except and for Michael Eisner. No, even <laughs> Eisner came out of that thing scarred. He was ousted by the Disney's on the board. Like yeah, nobody. But while came he was out running it, he was doing this thing. He was doing his thing, but nobody came out looking good at the end of it. Uh, oh, you've disappeared. Nope. <laughs> well, while Mike is figuring out his camera, there it is. Uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of questions about the future of the company, but this is shake up. All I'm saying is I want to read the next book. I want to read the yes. book about this, this Disney thing. World War II. Yeah, Disney I don't Wars know. II. I don't know what you call that, but yeah, we'll see. Anyway. Yeah. The streaming war. Disney streaming war. Disney plus war. Just call it that. All right, <laughs> let's move on uh, to our second story here. Way less drama here. We're talking about the beginning of award season as we are here with the yes. Spirit Awards. The Independent Spirit Awards announced its nominations on film, on Tuesday morning, where the Daniels' Everything Everywhere All at Once led the tally of nominations with eight nominations. Yeah, and it did. Yeah, we'll, it did. I'm sure we'll hash this out at the end of the year podcast we do for movies, but again, I know I'm outnumbered, but yes. I just didn't get it. Anyways, right behind that was Todd Field's Tar with seven, and Charlotte Wells's After Sun with five. Some of the big surprises were a complete shutout of Darren Aronofsky's The Whale and Brendan Fraser, its lead actor. Other notable omissions were Danielle Deadweiler's performance in Shinoye Chukwu's Till, in addition to James Gray's Armageddon Time and actor Jeremy Strong. A24 led the tally for all studios with 24 total nominations, with focus features at a distant second with nine. The winners were chosen by members of Film Independent and will be announced on March 4th, 2023. Television nominees will be announced on December 13th. So, do you think this starts an early trend? Do you think Everything Everywhere All at Once does does well in other more mainstream award shows? Or is this I an independent so. spirit kind of movie? That no, you I see think it does. But I think you circuit. also see that skew from A24 yeah. having 24 nominations yeah. to Focus Future having nine because... A24, I think this year, literally put out a film every single month. It felt like every other week was an A24 release. So the question then, I guess, is, is like, do you see this is, is this the pivot point for A24 where they become less of a, we're in this niche market putting out these niche films to no, we're vying for the Oscar or we're going for it this year. I mean, it's hard to say because they started off just like Annapurna. Yeah. And we love both of those companies. Yeah, especially like this content they're creating and the, what they're producing right now. Uh, but yeah, this does feel like it's the turn, the Miramax turn into being more Ooh. of a. Yes, I know. Do we have to talk about them. Do we have to talk about that as the? I know that's the precedent, but do we have to talk? That's about the precedent, Miramax? though. 
that's the president though i know anyway so yeah uh early early hints at what we might be looking at for uh award battles going forward but mm-hmm. we'll wait and see because some heavy hitters came out last week as we talked about uh you know the Fablemans is going to be on everybody's tongues here at a war of season. Yes, but didn't like it didn't really work for Spielberg last time with uh, West Side Story. It was there, but it, it was there. Award winning. Win, but it was there. Well, it won the one award yeah, uh, for supporting actress, but yeah. that was it. Well, we'll see as we get closer and closer to award season. All right, let's move on to movie thoughts uh, real quick. I know we talked about it last week, but I did not get in a glass onion uh, screening yet. We are going to see it on Sunday. So okay. I'll be able to talk about Glass Onion next week. I'm probably going to see it. Tell me where you're going. I might see it on Sunday as well. We're going up here in Long Beach. I mean, you want to come up here and see it with us? <laughs> we Maybe. Because we'll, we'll talk after. Yeah, but yeah let I'm, me know. We I'm trying to see glass, I was trying to see it on Wednesday, but couldn't get to it. And I kind of want, I really, I'm getting a lot of good buzz from it. So I want to see it before we. Before it comes on Netflix yeah. in right December oh. on the 25th. Chrissy says you need to make a decision right now because she wants to buy them right now. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of seats. Don't worry about it. Um, We looked. Why do you we think looked? we're seeing it on Sunday? Okay. <laughs> there were not. There were limited seats for last night and today. So we were like, eh, maybe we should just do the matinee show. Anyways. um, We can't do this. We can't do this while we're recording. Anyways. Yes. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, give us five minutes. <laughs> give us five minutes. We're almost done with the show. All right. Uh, let's Anyways, wrap up you actually the show. watched something. Yes, with thoughts. And oh boy, do I have thought. I'll try to be brief because now I know we have we don't have a whole lot of time. But what I will say, I unfortunately made the choice to watch Disenchanted on Disney Plus. This don't get this confused with Disenchantment. Very different. Disenchanted yes. is the sequel to Enchanted, the Amy Adams vehicle from 2007, which was Disney kind of. An early example of Disney kind of making fun of themselves by making a movie about a princess who gets uh, transported to the real world, New York City, and has to basically deal with a fish out of water scenario, uh, being a princess used to magic, faced with the very real New York City and the life that accompanies it. Uh, Of course, at the same time as some of the elements of her magical land invade, and she has to deal with the repercussions of that as well. A really solid, funny movie. Uh, very popular when it came out. Uh, well-reviewed. Um, I remember really liking it. Uh, my parents really liked it. It was a universally loved kind of film. It was fun. It was charming. and had just enough of that edge of like real world versus Disney and Disney kind of commenting on cliches of their princess storytelling. Then it really worked. And it was kind of, at the time, like edgy for Disney. Like, I, I mean, that's not the best word, but you know what I mean. Like, it was early, fresh air. It was an early example of them kind of doing like playing around with their legacy, which was cool to see at the time. They would do it more as you go on. Mm-hmm. Disenchanted is none of that. Disenchanted takes all of the charm of the original one, throws it right out the door, turns it into more of a musical than the first one was. The first one was kind of bookended by musical elements. This one is a musical throughout. Questionable choice. Uh, I'll get to more detail about that in a second, but it also takes what should have been an interesting premise on paper and fails to realize it and makes it excruciatingly long time to get there. So on paper, what I, I think what they wanted Disenchanted to be was 
hey, what if we reverse the concept, right? Instead of the princess, Amy Adams, Gis Giselle character, going into the real world and dealing with the repercussions of that, what if we bring the magical world into the real world? And what happens then? Say, what if she has um uh, like what if she has another like a villain to face off that brings out the villain in her for example what if she's struggling with her now teenage stepdaughter and maybe there's like question about like am i being a good stepmother am i a wicked stepmother perhaps and playing around with that kind of thing again on paper a decent concept i think just the concept of having like two villains kind of face off and have a villain off is an interesting concept it's what got a greenlit that's probably what got got this movie greenlit. And you have one four or five minute song that takes advantage of this concept. And I think it's the one song that works. And I think it's the one like set piece that works. And I think it's the one uh, sequence that works in this movie. And the rest of the movie has to write around it. They had to build a structure to support this one idea. And the structure does not hold. It takes So 30... it's not a Frozen then? No. Frozen had the same concept though. No, but it's very different than Frozen. Of building around one song and changing their whole thing. Frozen worked. They figured out a way to make Frozen work. This does yes. not. This fails. Okay. It takes 30 like long minutes for anything to happen in this movie. There's a lot of setup happening. Then once you're there, it's not that interesting. The stakes aren't that high. The rules of the world are super confusing. And again, the songs that are peppered throughout that just bloat the time to a obnoxious two hours that feels way longer are not even that great of songs they bring in alan minkin and even stephen schwartz to do the lyrics here and they don't pull it off like i said there's one song that is decent there's another song that gives adina menzel who ironically did not sing in the first movie which again as my dad said back th back when that was released why did you cast adina menzel and not have her sing <laughs> Here, they take advantage of her being by making her sing a lot. And I mean a lot. The song that they give her here sucks, but they really have her belt. It's like wicked status belting that they get out of Adina here. Like it is if Let It Go and Defying Gravity has some sort of awful child, it is a monster of a song that's just stuck in the middle of this movie like, like nothing. It's like, what are you doing here? A lot of questionable lyrics. Stephen Schwartz not on his A game here. A lot of very forgettable ballads. A lot of like, all right, let's get to it kind of feeling. And ultimately, by the end of it, it's just like this wasn't really funny. This wasn't really charming. Like the 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 special effects are mixed. Um, the performances are blah. Amy Adams doesn't get to be the charming character she was in the first one because half the movie she's turning into an evil evil stepmother character and so you don't even get that charm of that fish out of water vibe gone mm. it's such a weird choice and we did some digging about the writer and she's i guess somebody who used to work on once upon a time and it currently actually recently sold a pilot for a spinoff of once upon a time and that is 100 of the vibe you get here it's very like low budget very rink dink operation kind of vibes to this thing and i just do not understand it must have gone through so many revisions to get where it is and it just never was going to work i think they just put this thing out because they were like well this is the best we're going to get this it doesn't work 
and it was super disappointing to watch. Does it feel rushed to production then? I think a little bit, especially some of the visuals. As I mentioned, some of the visual uh, effects are really mixed. Uh, it has the vibe of a... It's shot like a Netflix thing, even though it's on Disney+. Plus. A lot of right. centered shots, a lot of blah color design. Christy was pointing out throughout the inconsistencies with makeup and like costume design being really questionable too. Like there's just, it, the look of this thing is really weird and boring compared to the very vibrant color. The one thing I have to say about this, and the weirdest part for me is, the last thing I'll say about Disenchanted is, there is more hand-drawn, or at least emulated hand-drawn animation in this thing than Disney has done in probably a decade. They put a lot of work, for some reason, into actual legitimate hand-drawn animation in the bookends of this film. There's a lot in the beginning, there's a little bit kind of towards the end, and there's more in the end. More so than they even did in the first film. They kind of played around with that idea back then as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. And you definitely, and here, this is the mistake. It's just like how there's that rule about never put a better movie in your movie because it's distracting. Yes. We talked about this on the podcast. Also, don't put a bunch of great live uh, animated uh, scenes in your movie that is live action. Because then you're thinking the whole time, what if this was animated? What if they <laughs> made a movie like this? What if Disney made a movie like this again? And then you just have to remember, oh yeah, they won't. So did they blow the budget on that? Maybe. Because it just makes you wish that you were watching a different movie every time that they showed something animated here. It looks better than the faux animated stuff in uh, Rescue Rangers earlier this year. I swear. It's legitimately good. Like, they do a shot early in the early uh, scene here, in the animated scene, where they're emulating the multiplane camera. Yeah. And it's really convincing. I was like, man, they could just do this? Why don't they make a movie like this? What are we doing here? It's bizarre. It's so it's it's a movie that's be, that has so many bizarre choices, so many left field things. It's boring, and I just don't understand how we got here. So well, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Yeah, I'd say it's a pass. Even on streaming, just don't bother. If you like that first movie, don't taint your memories by watching this. It'll make you question, as we did, whether the first one was good or not. I feel like it probably is. But, uh, so you didn't even do a double feature for no, it. No, no, we just don't have that kind of time. <laughs> but, but yeah, just maybe pass on Disenchanted. It seems like a missed opportunity and something that should uh, that shouldn't have been made in its current form. So that's that. Right. Well, watch I didn't it. watch anything, but apparently we may watch Class Onion, so we'll have that yeah. next week. Maybe. We'll see. So yeah, I'll definitely talk about that next week. Um, do we have a fan question this week? Did we check the no, email? Did not see anything. No. All right. Did not get and that, anything. And that means we are I think done. We can here. wrap it up here. We can wrap it up. Thank you for joining us for this week's Media Boat Podcast. We'll be back next week in person for another one. Also, next week will be the week where we talk to you about our plans for the year end wrap up specials. We, in case you're new to us, have four, five, five shows coming at you in the month of December that are special episodes beyond our normal episodes where we will be breaking down our own top five lists of the best movies, video games, music, and television shows of the year. We will each have our top fives and each of those shows will end with us choosing one thing that will be our favorite thing. Yes, pinky up. It's fancy. 
Uh, one yes. thing that will be our favorite thing of that category of the year. We'll also talk about the news of those categories of the year, choosing our top story in those categories. We already kind of hinted at what those might be earlier in the show. So we will be releasing those on a weekly basis. So over the five weeks of December, you'll get a show every week. We will also have a fifth wrap-up show that will wrap up the year that was talk about our own personal things, you know, our opportunity to have like a little bit of like, okay, where are we at now and what is coming up in the future? and talk about some things that are on the horizon in 2023 that we're excited for. So get ready for all of that. It's a tradition here at the Media Boat Podcast, so get ready for all of that and more. Uh, and yeah, that will be on your podcast feed, on your audio feeds. Uh, and we may, I don't know, we may do video this year since we're in person again. I don't yeah, know. we'll probably do video again. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be towards the end of the year. Yeah. Until then, um, you catch us on all our podcasting feeds, uh, yes. Facebook, Twitter while it's still there. Yes. Uh, YouTube. <laughs> yeah, in the meantime, yes, we will be back next week for another episode. All of that is true. So yeah, Media Boat, at Media Boat Cast is Twitter for now. Um, maybe I'll make us a co-host. Maybe I'll do that. I don't yeah. know. We'll find I can out add pages, week. so that's kind of nice. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah, catch us next week. We're on YouTube. Search YouTube for Media Boat Podcast to find our archive shows and when we go live. Uh, search Media Boat Podcast and the uh, audio podcast service to find our feed there. And then, yeah, email us questions. Podcast at gmail.com is the email address for that. Feedback, questions, whatever you got for us, send us there. We'll be back next week for another in-person episode. Thank you for joining us. Yep. We'll be back. Have more a good news, week. More news, more thoughts, more of us, and, and Glass Onion. Yes. All right. See ya. All right. Bye. How do I stop recording? Oh. <laughs>